ancient Egyptian history spanned thousands of years. It is difficult for modern people to fully comprehend just how much time that is. In the year 2021, we are still closer in time to the year 0 CE than ancient Greek Egyptians were to their own early pharaohs. Menes was one of the first pharaohs, given credit for unifying the many scattered tribes living among the River Nile. Estimates put him around 3400 BCE. That makes him over 5,000 years old now. Well, whatever is left of him, that is. Generations of pharaohs followed after him, each contributing to one of the oldest cultures in the world, a lifetime represented as a little tick mark on a very long story. Still, it would take time after Menes before they would need to develop a written language. Life was difficult and the Sahara Desert had been growing, but the exodus of animals fleeing northward only drove them towards hunters living where those disjointed tribes were starting to form a cohesive society. The Nile itself is considered the single most important factor that contributed to establishing an early Egyptian community. They were keen to observe many natural patterns both in the sky and on the earth. Birds migrated and seasons changed bringing with them a regular pattern of flooding, which quickly became a reason to celebrate rather than an omen of disaster. They discovered that the river would rise and submerge their crops yearly, but when the waters receded, it left behind a rich, fertile gift of sediment, like washing gold from sand. They dug irrigation canals to draw the living water farther away from the river, further expanding their booming agriculture. The Fellahin were the peasants who worked those fields, but flooding transformed the landscape with regularity, freeing up a substantial workforce who could then be reassigned to building projects. Excess grain led to rodents, which led to cats joining the feast. With plenty of food and a naturally regulated farming system, the ancients then had time to devote much of their lives to culture. They developed methods for keeping track of inventories and spoils of war. Warehouses were needed and stocks had to be accounted for. They saw rat-killing cats as good spirits who helped keep the house clean and free of disease, as well as showing good personal hygiene. The rest is history. Further south and deeper into Africa was the Kingdom of Kush. The Egyptians called them Ta-Seti, meaning the land of the bow. Greeks called them Ethiopians. They were famous in their use of bows and arrows, both in hunting and warfare. It's worth noting that there are still parts of Africa inhabited by indigenous people known as the San Bushmen, and they still excel with bows. However, they have suffered for centuries against famine and genocide. Even the name San comes from a derogatory term for poor, nomadic foragers. They prefer to be distinguished from each other instead and associate with their individual cultural groups rather than being lumped together into a jumble of indigenous peoples. Also noteworthy is also they carry some of the oldest human DNA on the planet. They have extraordinarily diverse genes, hinting at the source of our earliest ancestors, or perhaps very old cousins. Maybe early clans traveled up the Nile from Kush or elsewhere, eventually forgetting where they came from. 
Once they became unified through tenuous agreements, Egyptians settled down and started to write fairly quickly. Similar to the Greek myth of Prometheus gifting humans with fire, the ancient god Thoth was said to teach language and writing as well as other related things like law and literature. He gave us our intellect. He was a strong patron of scribes who functioned as a kind of auxiliary elite, gaining renown for linguistic study and artistic expression. Scribes were needed in every city, and prominent scribes have been found buried with large numbers of mummified ibises, which were sacred to Thoth. They may have seen their long curved beaks and thought of a crescent moon or a stylus for writing, or maybe the Egyptians simply thought the birds looked intelligent. Scribes were the keepers of the language of the gods, and by the Middle Kingdom, this style of writing was regulated and kept sacred. Of course, regular people tend to speak how they choose, and other forms of writing developed as well over time. Hieratic was a kind of cursive hieroglyphic that was faster to write on papyrus, while demotic was what most common people would eventually use, followed by Coptic during more recent Christian times. Hieroglyphics, as most people know them, were widely cut into permanent stone records, like tombs and temples. Being sacred meant that people believed words had supernatural power. You could imprint magic onto a building. This encouraged the characters to standardize and remain fluent for thousands of years with little change. Like evoking a god through song, their words felt stronger when etched into stone, and although these glyphs derived from common daily objects like a cloth or a loaf of bread, they gained heavy metaphysical connotations. Sometimes a word could grow to become part of an illustration. Hieroglyphics can be read symmetrically, either right to left or left to right, flanking a larger drawing of gods or people, sometimes interacting with other hieroglyphs like Jed for stability, or by showing a word for offering in their hands. Most famous is probably the Ankh, life, being shown as a physical object handed to us from a god. They intended for the work to last, and it is truly amazing that so many examples of their writings have survived to this day. Thoth himself was called Chihuti, but we know him by his Greek name, as with many other gods. The Greeks were far-sailing warriors and philosophers who eventually came to control Egypt at the end of its ancient phase. They associated their gods with those of the people they encountered. Most modern people are aware of this happening with the Roman gods, as in Jupiter slash Zeus, but they likewise assimilated the older Egyptian gods too. As a writer and scribe, Thoth had things in common with Mercury slash Hermes, the Roman and Greek messenger, despite arguably having more in common with Apollo. He eventually became known as Hermes Trismegistus, Hermes the thrice greatest. Eventually, this hybrid god would become popular in medieval alchemy texts, astrology, and other magical works still studied today. Anubis was similarly paired with Hermes 
as Hermanubis, someone who leads souls to the afterlife, even managing to retain his jackal head on Greek statues. Later Coptic Christian Egyptians were able to adapt some of their stories from Egyptian ones, replacing Isis and baby Horus with Mary and Jesus, while retaining almost identical imagery and form. One ubiquitous image shows a seated mother with her nursing infant on her lap, which is fairly universal and older than humanity. Throughout history, people have repeatedly found ways to merge cultures while retaining their beliefs in some form. Thoth was closely associated with balance and law, appearing on office walls as if to bolster client confidence. In the famous judgment scene frequently depicted in funeral rites, the essence of a person was thought to reside in their heart, where good and bad deeds would accumulate over a lifetime. Although this necessitated leaving the heart attached to a mummy, a jar was used as the hieroglyph for the heart and was shown on a balance scale. Four other organs were removed and preserved individually in four canopic jars. The feather of truth, lent by the goddess Ma'at, would sit opposite your heart, indicating that sins and wrongdoings effectively weigh down your soul, making you heavier than truth. The penalty for this was that if the scale dipped too low, a ferocious chimera of the Duat, or underworld, would devour your most precious heart. Thoth can actually appear twice in these scenes. His baboon-slash-underworld form watches the scales carefully for any imbalance, and he is also usually shown in his anthropomorphized form as a man with an ibis head, scroll, and pen, ready to document the trial, effectively serving as judge by stating what the facts show. Thoth was also thought to invent the calendar, no small accomplishment for an ancient society. They knew the movements of the planets and stars as well as the migrations of animals. As an early god, Thoth was said to have essentially thought himself into existence, or was maybe the son of Ra. Alternately, he was created as the manifested balance between Horus and Seth, forever pulling the world opposite directions. He appears in early creation stories concerning the moon, which itself allowed time to be kept during the night as with the sun during the day. The moon as a circle and crescent both appear in his imagery and in both forms, ibis and baboon. He is said to have made a gamble with Khonsu, the moon, and he won. Moonlight was what was wagered and Khonsu lost enough light that the moon could no longer stay full throughout the month, instead waning and waxing like stirred milk in a glass, swirled up the sides only to fall again. This could explain Thoth's association with the moon, showing his right to wear its imagery since he won some of Khonsu's power fair and square. Nut, the sky, and Geb, the earth, were cursed by Ra, the sun, with sterility. He did not want to jeopardize his rule over the world and feared that Nut would bear a son who could overthrow him. A story as old as time. The deal was that Newt could not bear children during their 360-day year, so Thoth used his mathematical prowess to take 172nd of the moon's light after beating Khonsu, the moon god, in a game of Senate. He then used his prize to create five additional days, 
360 days divided by 72 equals 5. Bringing about the 365 day years we now know as well as allowing the next generation of gods to be born. Existing outside of the year, those extra days were special holidays to the Egyptians. Over the course of those holidays, Nut gave birth to Osiris, Horus the Elder, Set, Isis, and Neptis. Some very powerful gods who would go on to have a third generation of lesser gods after Ra grew old and left for the sky. This hierarchy established a supernatural realm with every god having an important job. The oldest were the grandest, the sky and the earth, the sun and the moon. Next came magic and medicine, agriculture and embalming, the air, darkness, war, the violent, untamed fury of the desert, etc. Among other children, Osiris and Isis had Horus, while Neptis and Set had Anubis, god of escorting the recently dead on their journey to the ever-important afterlife. Horus was protected by his aunt Neptis, long enough for him to challenge his uncle and bring balance. All the while, Thoth was quietly documenting and writing it onto scrolls. Thoth appears in many stories. As Cain would kill Abel, Set killed his brother, Osiris, in order to claim his inheritance. He dismembered him and scattered the body parts. Osiris was in charge, and Set thought he could overthrow his reign just as a sandstorm can obscure the sun. Their sister, Neptis, went against her husband-slash-brother, Set, by helping Isis gather up their brother's body parts. They bound them together with strips of cloth and used powerful magic to restore him. That magic spell is said to have come from Thoth, although Isis and Neptis were powerful magicians in their own right. This resulted in a different situation. Osiris, both dead and alive, would stay in power although he was changed by his murder. Contrary to what one might think, his green skin was not an effect of his decomposition, but rather a reference to his original agricultural duties. As an undead god, he would reside in the underworld while his son, the falcon god, Horus, would take his place as the highest flying god over living Egyptians. Osiris now ruled the Duat, and his son ruled the earth, which was good news for humans. Set became a bitter god of the desert and a reminder that everything must have a corresponding counterweight. All those who live must die. As good as Horus was to people, Set was an ever-present threat who could strike at any time by war or drought. He was a balance to Horus. Set was like a mean old uncle, always trying to stir up family trouble. A part of yourself. Someone you can see yourself in but hope you would never become. A step closer to Thoth was Seshat, a goddess of writing, libraries, and other things associated with Thoth. Some say she came before him. Some say she was his wife. Others say she was the daughter of Thoth and Ma'at, the goddess of truth. Either way, their family was one wholesome and nerdy bunch. Seshat was depicted with a green star, slash flower, slash leaf over her head 
sometimes interpreted as a hemp leaf, since hemp was known to the Egyptians, and they made much use of reeds and fibers, not least of all in making papyrus. Above this leaf or star were two downward horns, sometimes connected in the middle. Cow horns were often shown above the heads of gods, possibly referencing the mother celestial cow, Hathor. Isis is shown beneath horns, referencing her shared ability to create life, just as the stars created us. Sashat holds a stylus and a palm stem, being the hieroglyph for year. Her talents included mathematics and architecture, which itself relied heavily on mathematics. Sesh was a word for scribe, and it was used to form other related words. Sashat means she who scribens, or who does scribe things. Some have called her goddess of numbers. She was tasked with recording the name of each pharaoh and tracking the years on his reign on her palm stick. She was shown recording spoils of war as well as ceremoniously hammering pegs with pharaoh during the stretching of the cord ritual. This was to ensure all major foundations were built properly, securely, were astronomically aligned, and importantly, sanctified by the gods. Builders who revered her would stretch a cord across a building site in order to level and prepare a foundation, much the same way we still do today with the plumb line. Her influence can be seen as the reason why the pyramids are still standing strong despite weather, war, and time, which she enjoyed keeping track of. Perhaps she can serve modern people as a goddess of calculators and contractors. Thoth is remembered today in books and movies. Modern tarot decks seem to originate from the Thoth tarot, supposedly a form of his Book of the Dead, which was like a guidebook for how to die and find paradise with all the symbols and rituals you need to make it happen. Modern associations between this book and tarot may conjure ideas of necromancy or a supernatural telephone, but that isn't really how ancient Egyptians viewed life and death. Although Thoth may have taught the magic words to Isis in order to bring Osiris, the mummy, back to life, it wasn't to protect against grave robbers or to terrify children. It was intended to show the continuum of life and death as fused concepts. There can be no life without death. Immortality on Earth can be seen as a curse that blocks the natural progression of energy. Ancient Egyptians felt strongly that good and evil must continue to fight because they were opposite equal forces pulling on the world and should one pull too hard the whole cosmology could collapse. Osiris had to be restored because that was what kept the universe stable. Luckily for Thoth and his family there wasn't really an antithesis of knowledge and learning. There was no god of ignorance but there were dark gods like Set and Apophis who represent chaos but don't seem to ever target Thoth. Apep, or Apophis, in Greek, was a zigzagging giant serpent who was enemy to Ra, the sun disk. Reminiscent of a snake swallowing an egg, Apophis waited for the sun to set before attacking. He was said to have been born from the umbilical cord of Ra as an existential consequence of being born. This cord keeps us alive until birth but sadly it can also cause strangulation. 
Humans have always wondered about our existence in the universe as conscious beings. How our fight to be alive and exist as self-aware creatures comes from stipulations and burdens like killing to eat. Furthermore, the Egyptians believed in that essential balance, that the universe has a fundamental yin and yang. Day and night needed each other, and so the birth of the sun necessitated his opposite, a hungry snake. Apophis was the opponent of Ma'at as well. Thoth, however, feels more primeval, as if he knows the bigger picture. He was less concerned with fighting, as though he already knew what would happen. While opposed to Set, he seems to have stayed out of battle and focused his role as a sage advisor to both gods and pharaohs. Like a wise old uncle you go to for advice with money. He was a character of wisdom and of making smart decisions using good data. In an ever-changing and modernizing world, it can be important to learn from the past. Thoth is an abstract concept that any modern person can easily internalize and manifest, although we may not personify it as a man with an ibis head. Egyptian gods were not physically present there, but rather existed metaphorically to help us make sense of the world. Even Horus could only be seen by people by being incarnated into Pharaoh. Thoth lives on in the urge to take a picture or document an event that feels historic. He is your checkbook, ledger, and your diary. He is the person who taught you how to read. He is like the internet, a neutral ocean of every human thought put into words, the cumulative knowledge of our species, both buoyed with good information and sunk with the bad but still floating along and still recording for generations yet to be born with the hope that they will learn from our mistakes and become better than us.